what's up everybody, everybody online watching, hey, what's happening, waving to you and everybody here in person, I'm glad that you are here, especially if it's your first time, really excited that you are here. We're going to talk about something I think every single one of us can relate to, and in order to kind of get there, I need to ask you a question, right? have you ever been in a hopeless situation, maybe something like one of these that I'm about to uh, share with you. So I was working on a truck one time, all right, I've got a Ford Ranger, 94, and I was working on it in the, in the garage and I was putting rear brakes on, okay, so it's got the drum brakes. And you have to do those, it's, oh my gosh, that assembly, you have to put the little springs on the little post, and there's like two or three of them. I was about to punch myself in the face. I was so angry. I was so frustrated. I'm not a mechanic, but I'm trying. And I, anyways, holy cow. So I'm getting angry at this thing. And I, I get one spring on, and then the other one pops off, and then I get that one on, the whole assembly pops out. I am not a mechanic, obviously, but I'm trying. Anyways, so I'm getting angry. I am yelling. I'm screaming at my truck, because my truck knows what it's doing. It's being stubborn. My truck knows, I'm yelling at myself, I'm yelling at the garage, I'm yelling at any, I'm yelling at everything. My son, Kern, comes out, he's like, in the, into the, he opens the door, he's like, hey, Dad, is everything okay? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not okay. This truck is dumb and I can't fix it. I'm just, you know, I'm like, just angry, Hulk mode right here, right? I'm just frustrated, it feels hopeless in that moment. I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe you can relate to this one. So I'm in there with my, my wife, you know, on, on several occasions and we're having a conversation for three hours, a discussion about something specific, right? So we're having one of those, and then we get to the point and say, hey, babe, tell me, what, what do you want? Just tell me what you want. What do you want me to do? Ever been there, guys? Ladies, ever been there? Dumb question, right? Why do I have to tell you? You should know what I, you should know what I want, right? And in that moment, in my head, Oh, there's hopelessness just set in because I'm busted. I'm dead because I got no answer. I don't know what she wants. I really don't. I want to know what she wants, but I don't. And this is just a hopeless situation. It feels like, have you ever been there? Yeah. What about parents? You come home, your kids come home, no matter what age, maybe they're 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, or maybe they're 13, 14, 15, 16. They come home and they're upset. Maybe they're crying or they're just angry or whatever because Johnny or Billy or Susie did something, said something, was mean to them, punched them, I don't know, spilled something on them, made fun of them, whatever, and they're crying. They're truly upset. And I get it. Parents, you know most of the time it's your own kid's fault, and you see that. But every once in a while it's the other kid's fault. And so imagine that situation. And you have, you have emotions, right? You want to help your kid. You, you're like inside, you're crying. Part of you wants to go punch a little Johnny. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take a little kid out if he's going to mess with mine, right? But you can't do that. And so you just want to take away the boo-boo. You want to help your kid out, but you can't. And you start thinking about, how am I going to protect my kid from all the stuff in the world? And you feel a little hopelessness set in. Or maybe it's in relationships. Maybe you get married and, and the in-laws just won't accept you. They're never going to like you. Or maybe you're in like a blended family and it feels like the other side of the family just doesn't like you. And you try and you try, but no one likes you. Maybe it's a new job or it's your workplace or maybe it's just your family. Or maybe it's at school and nobody will sit at your table. Nobody will be a friend to you. Everybody, you know, just you know, ostracizes you or whatever. And you feel like you just, maybe it's like a boyfriend kind of girlfriend or situation. We want him or her to like you and you just can't. And you feel hopeless. Have you ever been in a hopeless situation? I bet you have. I hope you have, to be honest with you, because it makes me realize I'm not alone, thankfully. But also, we're going to talk about it today. This series has been great about finding hope. It's a practical guide to find hope, no matter what situation you find yourself in. Because sometimes you feel like you're the one person that your life could never change. But what we found is God can turn around any life. Sometimes you're just the most misguided. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing in your life. And what we found was that God says he can turn around the most misguided life as well. 
And today we're going to find that he can reverse the most hopeless situations. If you missed the first two weeks in this series, I really encourage you to go online and check them out because they're great messages. Or you can listen to the podcast. If you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you. Or if you have a you know, Bible app on your phone, open it up. Turn to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to start today, verse 32. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow on the screens. Um, or if you don't have a Bible at home, let us give you one. We'll give you a free New Testament. Just at the service, check out Info Central or Guest Reception, and we'll give you a free New Testament because we want you to have God's Word. We want to find hope. Because we all find ourselves in hopeless situations. And so here's where it starts. In Acts chapter 9, we've, so far in the first two weeks, we've been following this guy named Saul. Okay, if you've been here with us, we've been following Saul's journey. But now we turn our attention to a different guy. His name is Peter. Peter is one of the original apostles, the 12 apostles that Jesus, when he was around, he went and asked, Hey, will you follow me? Peter said, I will. He drops his fishing nets, his fishing business. He drops everything to follow Jesus. Fast forward three years, he spent three years with Jesus. Jesus is about to die on a cross, be crucified, murdered on a cross. The night before, Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. I don't know that guy. Listen, I'm telling you, I don't know that guy. Three times he denies knowing Jesus. That's his last encounter with Jesus. That's his last moments, reminders with Jesus. That's what he did. Jesus dies on the cross just a few hours later. That's it. Peter drops ministry. And he goes back home fishing. Jesus dies, but then Jesus raises from the dead. Jesus visits the 12 apostles, the apostles, and he also has a one-on-one with Peter. He has a one-on-one with Peter, and he says, Peter, remember, you're not just a fisher of fish. You're a fisher of men. He says, go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. He's not talking about lambs. He's not talking about actual sheep. He's talking about humans, people. Go feed my sheep, Peter. That's Peter who was in a very hopeless situation, and it turns around. And so we're picking back up in his life in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. And here's what it says. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lida. This isn't a vacation. It's not a European tour. This is a preaching ministry. So he is going from town to town, preaching, teaching the believers, and evangelizing the Jewish people who had not accepted Jesus as their Savior. The early church gathered to hear God's word. Understand, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have Bible apps on their phones, well, because they, they didn't have phones, but they didn't have Bibles. It was being written. I mean, God's word was being written. Uh, with Peter and Paul and all the apostles are going for the next two to five decades. So the church gathered to hear God's word. One, they treasured God's word. How much do you treasure God's word? I mean, how much do you actually treasure God's word? We have it everywhere, yet do we open it? They gathered. They wanted to hear God's word. And Peter was teaching them God's word. That's what the church did. And while he was in this city, this town called Lida, a hopeless situation arises. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lida and Sharon, which is kind of like the region or like the country or like the county around that area, uh, saw him and turned to the Lord. It's pretty amazing, right? So I mean, he heals this paralyzed man who had been bedridden for eight years. It's pretty amazing, right? And immediately, like, yes, go Jesus, go apostles. Like, that's that. I want that gift, don't you? Like, we want the gift. The gift is amazing to be able to heal someone, right? But oftentimes, that's the problem. We get caught up in the gift. Everybody wants the gift, but not God, not the Jesus. We want the gift. And sometimes we miss the point because the gift wasn't the point, the miracle wasn't the point. Remember, Jesus even said this himself. John chapter 4, he said, unless you people, now listen, this is not a, unless you people that I love. No, this is a, he's, he's not happy. He's teaching. He's being stern. You people, because he's frustrated with the people that he's talking to. Unless you people see signs and wonders, as the New Testament calls miracles, 
signs and wonders, Jesus told them you will never believe. And sometimes that's us. We want the gift, but we don't want Jesus. We, don't, we want the gift, but we don't want obedience. We want the gift, but we don't want to listen to God's word. We want the gift. I want something from, but I don't want to give to. And we get caught up in the gift. You see, this gift apparently was given to the 12 apostles and the early apostles to start and establish the church. Because that's what they did. Listen, the, the apostles weren't sent out to heal. They didn't heal everybody. Jesus didn't heal everybody. They were sent out to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And the, the baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what they were, went out to do, not to heal. But they were given this gift as a way to say, hey, listen, we really are who we say we are. We're telling you the truth. And it's a shame because their words didn't change. The truth didn't change. It just took that for some people to say, oh, now we'll believe you. Are you waiting for something? The truth never changes. It's just the truth. Jesus says you don't need signs and wonders. You just need to believe I, I really am who I say that I am. It was just a gift. And when the apostles established the early churches, right, when the churches were being established, they didn't tell the elders, the leaders in the churches, that now you have the same authority that we've been given by Jesus. No, listen to James chapter 5, verse 14. If anyone, is a, if anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. They weren't given the same. We don't have apostles with us anymore like that. We go to the elders and we pray, but we have the same God. We might not have the same gift, but we have the same God. And God still heals. God still is, is the God of miracles. And so we pray to that God, the same God. Our elders gather, and once a month, they offer prayer for anyone who wants to come. And we'll, they'll pray with you, over you. Because that's what we've been commanded to do. We don't have those kinds of apostles, and we might not have that gift, but we have the same God. Is that going to, what do you want? Do you want the gift, or do you want the truth behind it? What it was really pointing to. Listen, another thing that we notice here in this Aeneas thing is this. Are, you ever feel alone? You ever notice that when you're alone, when you're lonely, when you're isolated, hopelessness seems to set in faster, harder, it's hard to get out of it? Because you begin to isolate yourself. And it's funny, like when you're isolated, when you're alone, your enemy, your number one enemy oftentimes is your mind, right? Your mind is one of your greatest assets and tools, but sometimes it's your worst enemy. And your mind begins to tell you, like it, it's, it, it tells you to isolate yourself, barricade yourself in. Why? Because your mind begins to tell you, no one cares. No one understands. And no one can help you. It's not true, but that's what your mind tells you. Everyone's going to hate you. They're all going to laugh at you. You're going to be ashamed, embarrassed. You shouldn't, right? That's what your mind begins to tell you, all these things that aren't true. And so you barricade yourself and say, I'm just going to hunker down and get through this. And it's the worst thing you can do. When you're in those hopeless situations in particular, you need people. You need people. Aeneas had people. He was paralyzed, right? How's he going to get up and go hang out with this church crowd? He couldn't. Someone had to pick him up and carry him. He had people. And when Aeneas was in the most hopeless situation in his life, other people, his people, brought hope to him. Sometimes that's us. We need other people to bring hope to us because we feel hopeless. And if you have people, that can happen. But if you don't, you're in trouble. Listen, we have small groups around here that we encourage you. You've got to get involved at somewhere, engaged somewhere. We have small groups that you can join. We have ministry teams that you can serve alongside of other people. Listen, I'm glad that you come on the weekend and you're watching online, but are you engaged? Like, are you connected beyond this? Because if you're not, you're setting yourself up for not a healthy situation when hopelessness comes. Because you don't have people. You need good people. Listen, these are not, we're not perfect people, but you need people. 
Aeneas' people weren't perfect people, but he had good people that brought hope into that situation. Are you getting connected? Because if you're not, it's unhealthy. We want to help you get connected so that you have people just like Aeneas. Aeneas had people, and so even when Aeneas was hopeless, the church around him was not hopeless. They had hope because they knew Jesus, and they knew what Jesus was capable of, and they knew Peter. And so they said, hey, they heard Peter was just three hours away, so they said, Peter, come, please help. Because they believed that this was an opportunity. So in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lita was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lita, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. So Aeneas, Aeneas was in a hopeless situation, and now there's another community in Joppa, three hours west. And in this moment, the church reaches out to Peter and says, hey, would you please come? Listen, I don't know how in the world this name ever became like an insult. I'm going to go ahead and get our giggles out right now, Dorcas, right? Like when I was in middle school, you would Dorcas McCorcus, right? You would make fun of people and call them a Dorcas, right? All this kind of weird stuff. Dorcas is a hero. Like how in the world did her name ever become an insult? I don't know, but we're reclaiming it. I'm letting you know that Dorcas is a hero, okay? So all the Dorcases out there, good for you, okay? You're a hero. Dorcas brought hope into a hopeless community, the poor and the widows. Understand, in first century, they didn't have social security, welfare programs, anything like that. They were just hopeless because, let's face it, humanity, we're all selfish. And we don't think about helping other people. We help ourselves. We don't look around and say, hey, look, there are people who have need. Maybe I'll give you money out of my resources. No, we take care of ourselves. And the same thing was in the first century. They were hopeless because no one took care of the poor. No one took care of the widows because everybody took care of themselves, just like today except for Dorcas. She took hope into the hopeless. And the hopeless community rallied around her. And they were devastated when she died. Devastated. But the church had hope because they knew Jesus. And they knew that Jesus could do something. And so that's why they reach out to Peter. So at verse 39, Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. It was a three-hour walk about between Joppa and Lita. And so we don't know if Peter showed up that day, the next day, or later. We don't know. But when he does get there, we kind of get a glimpse into one of the things that Dorcas does for this hopeless community. She made clothing for them. And if you've ever served alongside of hopeless people or people that are in physical need, you know that it's not just clothing that she was providing was hope. Like she paid attention to people who were ignored their entire lives. She humbled herself and became lower than people who everyone else looked down at. She loved people that everyone else gave up on or didn't care about. That's what she did. She brought hope to the hopeless and they loved her. You know why? Because Dorcas met Jesus. She was a Christian. And all she did was, like, this love that she experienced from Jesus, she shared with other people. And it brought hope. Let me ask you something. Are you even trying to bring hope to people? Are you even trying to bring hope to your family? Are you just living together and surviving? Just do the chores and make everybody happy? Are you even trying to bring hope? Is there anyone outside of your immediate family that you're trying to bring hope to? Is there a group of people that you're trying to bring hope to? The homeless, the poor, the widows, the sick, the orphans teachers, nurses, I don't know who, your bosses, your friends. Are you even trying to bring hope to someone, a group of people? 
That's why she was a hero, because she got out of her comfort, comfortable little bubble, her own world, and she went to those that didn't have hope and did something for them. And listen, that's not because she's super, because she's special. It's because she knew Jesus. And if you know Jesus, why aren't you doing that? It's not like this world is, we're going to find hopeless people. They're all over the place. It's easy to find people that need help. It's easy to find people that don't have hope. What's not easy is for you to leave your home. For you to stop binge watching network, right? Netflix, I mean. Just binge watching whatever TV shows, programs, doing whatever you want to do because it's your life. Dorcas left her comfortable bubble and went and served other people and brought hope. Are you doing that? That's what the world needs. And it made an impact. And these people had hope because they met Jesus through Dorcas. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. It's amazing. Dude, he brought her back to life. That's crazy. It's insane. It's impossible, right? And if this were a movie, this is the moment where you'd have a little flashback, all right? Because you need a flashback all the way back to Mark chapter 5. Because in Mark chapter 5, there's a very important moment between Jesus, Peter, some other apostles, and a Jewish synagogue leader, which is like a church leader, okay? He was a Jewish man. He definitely wouldn't have believed in Jesus as the Messiah because he was in the synagogue. He was Jewish. And so this Jewish synagogue leader had a hopeless situation arise in his life, though. And it brought up a, a battle in his mind because he was Jewish. He knew all the Jewish leaders were trying to get rid of Jesus. Jesus was the enemy. So if he would have believed in Jesus or asked Jesus for help of any kind, then he would have been kicked out of the synagogue, you know, persecuted, you know, all of his people would have left him, right? But he had a situation arrive, a hopeless situation. His daughter was dying. And so the Jewish synagogue leader became a daddy in that moment. And daddy had seen Jesus do the impossible. Daddy had seen Jesus heal people. And so daddy, in that hopeless moment, reached out to the one person that he never would have reached out to. You see, hopelessness doesn't always have to lead you to despair. Sometimes hopelessness can lead you to the one thing you've always refused to try. Hopelessness can lead you to the one thing you've always said you don't need. Hopelessness can lead you to the one thing that you said, I'm never going to do whatever. And in this moment, that's exactly what happened to that Jewish leader. He reached out to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, will you help me? Will you heal my little girl? Jesus says yes. And on his way to the house, the little girl dies. Jesus still goes, and look what happens. He actually brings Peter into the room with him. So Jesus, Peter, James, John, the little girl who's dead, dad and mom are in this room. Here's what happens. He took her by the hand. Jesus takes her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, <laughs> I say to you, get up. See any similarities to what happened with Peter? He said, little girl, get up after he prayed. He did exactly what he saw Jesus do. Peter never would have thought he could have done something like that. Peter never would have tried something like that, except he saw Jesus. He literally saw Jesus do that. He did exactly what he saw Jesus do. Yeah, have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to do something, trying to fix something, and you don't feel super confident, but you have someone in the room with you that's the expert? Don't you feel a little more confident about it? When I'm working on my truck and I have a mechanic behind me that's kind of telling me if I need help, he, I feel confident. That's what Jesus does. He brings hope into every single situation because he's there. He brings hope into every relationship, into everything. Because he's right there. He's done it. He's there with you. He brings hope 
into the hopeless situations. Yes, Jesus brings mercy and forgiveness and salvation, but he also brings hope, which leads to confidence, which leads to sharing that hope with others, supposedly. That's what we're supposed to do. Here's our big idea for today. Trust in Jesus. Super simple, right? Trust in Jesus because he's the anchor for our souls. We're going to unpack that anchor part in, a, in a part in a second. Right now, get trust in Jesus because he can bring hope. Listen, I've, been, I've seen elementary kids, young children, bring hope into families that were literally falling apart, tearing apart, destroying themselves when they, little kids met Jesus and brought Jesus into the home. I've seen marriages literally dead come back to life when Jesus came in the picture. I've seen lives almost on the brink of death, either suicide or suicidal thoughts or drugs, alcohol, addiction, prison, all kinds of situations, all of a sudden these worst, hopeless situations come back to life because of Jesus. The Bible is full of hopeless situations being reversed, and all of a sudden amazing things happening through these hopeless situations. This church is full of people who have been in hopeless situations, and God has reversed it. What about you? You ever felt hopeless? Maybe you feel hopeless right now. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe it's finances are always a mess. Maybe it's physical or mental illness you can't shake. Maybe it's jobs you just can't seem to get one or the one that you want. Or maybe it's relationships. I don't know. You just feel hopeless. You're not alone. Oftentimes, isn't it crazy how like hopelessness and depression go hand in hand? They usually come, listen, I'm not a psychiatrist or a counselor, but they usually come hand in hand, don't they? I want you to know something. You're not alone. You're not alone. Listen, listen to King David. This is crazy. King David, the greatest king in the nation of Israel, God's people. This is some of his words. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me. Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I am worn out from my groaning all night. All night long, I'm, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because all of my King David knew hopelessness, man. Maybe you felt that way before. Oftentimes when we start to feel hopelessness, we start to isolate, right? We start to ignore it or repress it or pretend like it doesn't exist or we medicate, we drink, we get into drugs, we try to numb the pain, the feelings, the thoughts. Or we trust in our career and our education. We'll become so smart we can fix everything. Or we'll, become ex- we'll exercise and become the perfect human phys- you know. F- f- uh, physical specimen so that we'll never experience pain, right? And you're trusting in all these things, but then consequences beyond your control come in and realize you can't fix everything. Hopelessness doesn't have to lead to despair. Hopelessness can lead you to the answer like King David. What about Paul? What about Paul? Paul says this, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Aeneas, the people in Joppa, King David, Paul, Peter, all of them knew hopelessness. What about you? Let me ask you something very practical. Have you ever, have you been thinking or have you ever thought or said anything like this? My situation will never get better. I have no future. No one can help me. I feel like giving up. It's too late now. I have no hope. I'll never be happy again. Have you ever thought that, felt that? Then maybe you're struggling with this. And listen, it's okay. 
It's good to know where you are because when you know where you are, you can make a plan to get out of it. It's okay to not be okay, right? You hear that all the time, and that's true. But it's also not okay to not do something about it. And you've tried all these other things. Maybe we need to try something different. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to not do something about it. We need hope. And listen, God made us physical beings, so we need to take care of the physical, right? We have physical bodies. The goal isn't to never think these things. The goal isn't to never feel hopelessness or despair. That's just probably impossible. The goal is to prepare yourself so that you know when you're in it, you recognize where you are, and you know some healthy things to do when you're in it. That's the goal. Listen, I'm not trying to compare or relate to say that I understand your struggle if you've been through depression or suicidal thoughts or anything like that. I'm just telling you, like, listen, I, as a human being, me, Mark Essick, I have known what it's like to feel like my life just isn't worth much or anything, even as a Christian, even in ministry. I I don't know what it it feels like. Again, not trying to relate, not trying to say mine's the same as yours. Sometimes we say that, you know, all Christians should never feel this. That's just not true. It just comes in sometimes. Sometimes it's because of circumstances and people around us, because people can be mean and ugly. Some things, sometimes everything circumstantially around you is fine, but you still feel it. It's crazy, isn't it? He's, everything seems to be fine, but I feel hopeless. It happens. It's okay. Don't pretend like it's not okay. I mean, don't pretend like it's okay. It's okay. Talk to someone trusted about it. Here's some things that you can physically do to prepare yourself when the time comes and when you are in it to help. These are just physical things. Eat right. We all know this. Sleep well. Stuff matters. It really does. So don't neglect these things. Eat right, sleep well, exercise regularly, stay away from drugs and alcohol, especially excessive. Stay away from pills unless prescribed by a professional. Build healthy relationships, healthy being the key word. Talk about your thoughts with trusted people. Those are physical things that you can be doing right now, setting good habits in place to prepare yourself for these seasons. But those are just physical, and your battle is not just physical because those things are not enough. They're good, but they're not enough. You also need... Quality, regular time with God's word. You need the truth, not just what my mind is going to tell me and what other people are going to tell me. I also need God's word. You need regular, quality time with God's word. You need regular time of authentic prayer like David. Like not asking and requesting and not just the simple prayers that we sometimes pray on a daily basis, but you need real prayer. Like, God, here's where I'm feeling. Here's where I'm at. God, I am broken. I am whatever. I am frustrated. I am this. God, I'm looking for direction. I'm whatever. I'm embarrassed. I'm. You need to have honest, real prayer with God. You also need regular time of serving other people. Life ain't about you. And the more I make life about me, the more I feel hopeless and depressed. Because I want and I don't have what I want. Life ain't about me, Mark. We need to serve people regularly. It's a healthy habit. Also, you need regular time of community with other people, especially Christians, like in a small group. Christians aren't perfect. You just need people that will give you God's word when you're in that moment, right? You need people that will help you point. That's what Aeneas had. Those are healthy things that you need when you're in those situations. Sometimes we're mistaken about God's hope because we're mistaken about God's hope. We thought God's hope meant he's going to heal me. We thought God's, meant, God's hope meant he's going to take me out of this situation. But that might not be what God promised. Some people believe and teach that God wants to, I mean, will and wants to do everything you ask if you just believe enough. If you just believe enough, then you'll get whatever you want. That's not what God's word says. So sometimes you'll have trouble in this world. Jesus didn't heal every single sick person he met. He didn't bring every person that died back to life. God's hope isn't just for this physical life. 
His life is for eternal life. Look what the New Testament, some of the things that the New Testament describes about this hope because we need to understand what God's hope is. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter 1. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This hope is going to be revealed when Jesus comes back. So it's hope in the future revelation of when Jesus comes back. That's when our hope is going to come to fruition. Because we know the end. We have hope. We know how it's going to end. Paul says, since we have such hope, we are very bold. Because we know how it's going to end, we can have boldness now. He goes on to say this in 1 Thessalonians. Let us, uh, yeah, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. It's like a helmet, right? It protects us. This hope protects us. I can go into the worst of situations. I can go into a hopeless situation because I'm being protected by God's hope. Because I know how it's going to end, I'm protected, and I can be bold. See, hope does that for us, but it's in this future promise. It's in this eternal life. The author of Hebrews says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In the most violent storms, in the, most, in the worst, darkest situations, a, a solid anchor can keep you still. From drowning. Save you. We always find, we find ourselves in these hopeless situations and what we, we're looking for answers and we need an eternal anchor, but we only have these temporary things that we throw at it. The physical body, we were made with physical bodies. We should take care of those physical bodies in those moments, but that's not enough. It's because it's not just the circumstances around us that our issue is with. Our souls realize that we're in trouble. Our souls realize that we need help. Our souls realize that there's a problem that we can't fix. We've tried fixing it by medicating it with drugs and alcohol. We've tried fixing it by being perfect parents. We've tried fixing it by doing all of these other things. We've tried fixing it with education, with success, with career. We've tried to control everything and make sure everybody is. And then we realize we can't because our souls realize it's not just physical. Our souls realize I can't fix it. I need an eternal answer. And that's what Jesus provides. Jesus provides hope. That author of Hebrews, he goes on to say this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where a forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. On our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. This is so powerful. Are you hopeless right now? If you've ever been hopeless, this is your answer. This is where hope is found because in the Old Testament, you see there's a temple. And in the temple, there's a special room called the Holy of Holies. This is where the presence of God dwelt. And once a year, only once a year, the high priest is the only person that could ever enter this room. And they would sacrifice a perfect lamb and bring blood. And they would sprinkle blood. And it was to atone for the sins of all of Israel. The blood didn't do anything. It was a, it was a recognition from the people of Israel that they had sin, that they needed a Savior, and that they trusted in God to save them. And they did that every year for centuries over and over and over again because it really didn't do anything until Jesus. And when Jesus came, he took our sins on the cross and took the actual wrath of God. He paid the consequences. He paid them. The love of God, the wrath, the justice of God was met in his perfect sacrifice forever, once and for all. And so because of Jesus, we no longer need that temple. Because of Jesus, we no longer need that reminder. We no longer need that animal sacrifice. We no longer need any of that. We need our big idea. Trust in Jesus. Because he's the anchor for our souls. Trust in Jesus because he's your eternal answer. Trust in Jesus because he brings hope into the hopelessness. Trust in Jesus. If you're hopeless right now, 
Listen, I can't fix it, and you can't either. But just like Peter found, Aeneas found, the people in Joppa found, Dorcas found, you can have hope. It's through Jesus. There is hope. And if you're a Christian in this room or watching online, now you've been called to go give that hope to the world. And if you keep it in your home, if you keep it inside yourself, then you're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus commanded us to do. You got to go. You got to go. We got to reclaim that name because Dorcas was a hero. You got to go be a hero and bring hope to the world, not because of you, but you take Jesus into the world. That's what we can do. Here's what I want to do. I want to say a prayer. And during this prayer, maybe you can pray alongside of me. You can pray words like I'm about to pray or you can say your own words. But everybody, let's just pray together right now. God, thank you so, so, so much for your hope. Thank you for your hope through Jesus. Maybe there's some people in this room or watching online right now that have never accepted that hope and have never said yes to Jesus. Right now in this moment, maybe they can pray something like this. God, I am sorry. I'm sorry for trusting in myself. I'm sorry for trusting in drugs. I'm sorry for trusting in my life, my career, success, relationships. I'm sorry for trusting in me. I believe that Jesus, that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on that cross for my sin. I believe that you resurrected from the dead. I believe that you will come back. And I place my trust in you. Don't fully know what that means yet, but I'm trusting in you, God, because you are what I need tried everything, but I haven't tried you. I haven't been honest with you. I haven't truly sought you, trusted you. So I'm trusting you, God. Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? Maybe you've, people in the room or watching online, you've already said yes to Jesus before, but if you're honest, you know that you really haven't been following Jesus. Maybe right now in this moment, you can pray something like this. God, I am sorry. I'm sorry for not saying yes to you again. I'm sorry for not taking this hope to the world. I'm sorry for not trusting in you. I'm sorry for not being bold. I'm sorry for not being confident. I'm sorry for not believing you. I'm sorry for wanting the gift but not obedience. I'm sorry. Send me, God. Open up doors today, this week, the rest of my life. Use me to bring hope to the hopeless. Maybe you're in hopelessness right now. And wherever you are, I pray that you would pray something like this. God, I am trusting you to bring hope to my situation. I will seek out people. I will seek out you. It's in Jesus' name that we all pray. Amen. So we're going to do, we'll give you a chance to respond in this moment. We're going to sing a song called Living Hope. It's powerful because Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, that means our hope is alive. Our hope is real. It's active. It's not dead. It's real. One simple way you can bring hope to the world is by inviting someone next week to this message series about good news for all. Because we all need some good news, don't we? But right now, here's your chance to you for the first time claim that hope, receive it, or remind yourself. Be convicted and repent and receive that trust and that hope once again. Would you please?